Well, hey, Willow, it is so good to see you. I am just kidding, Joanne. I'm just joking with you. It works just fine. <laughs> hey, real quick, I wanted to take, I wanted to take the opportunity for all of our campuses that are watching. We had a little technical difficulty uh, before we signed in with everybody. And I just realized something, that I have been here over a year And that is the first time I have seen any sort of light miscue or technical difficulty or something from the technical space not work. And that reminds me that you guys are amazing at doing what you do. So whatever campus you're at, could you turn around right now and look at all the people that are in the back there and just say thank you for doing your job with such excellence. We appreciate you all so much. (laughs) Well, hey, um, their love story started the way that you want a love story to begin. I I mean, their love story was like some sort of Hollywood movie with an epic enemy force camped out on the opposite hill. A giant of a man named Goliath who would come down into the valley every morning and shout out, who will come against me to all of the Israelite people? And and no one would sign up. Nobody would come against Goliath. They were all afraid of him. And so King Saul had to make an offer to all of the Israelite people. And he said, hey, um, I'll tell you what, if anybody would go against Goliath, I'll give you free taxes for the rest of your life, and uh, you can have my daughter, Michael, in marriage. And this young man, David, he steps up to the plate, and he says, Thou king, 1 Samuel 17, 17, Thou king, tax-free sounds amazing, but can I see a picture of Michael? (laughs) No, he didn't say that. Their relationship started with an amazing gesture, this romantic gesture of this hero fighting for his God, fighting for his countrymen, and fighting for the hand of the fair maiden. It's a great start, but then there's conflict. Now, you think the Bible would portray all of the heroes as sort of perfect never having conflict, that all the relationships would sort of go the way they're all supposed to go. But actually, it's one of the things that points to the Bible being historical and not just a bunch of myths and legends, is that we get to see our heroes as they really are, warts and all, even their mistakes, even their dark sides. And I should say this as well, as we're in this series, um, These Are My People, we're going to look at uh, a, a conflict today, but we're going to look at it in the context of marriage, but the truth is we're going to look at conflict and sort of apply it in every relationship. I mean, what we'll learn today in the context of marriage really can be applied in just about every relationship, friendship, work relationship, because unfortunately, every relationship will inevitably have some sort of conflict. So Here's what happened. In 2 Samuel 6, the Ark of the Covenant is being carried back to the Israelites' 
hometown. Uh, David had won the battle with Goliath. He got the fair maiden. They, they were going to live happily ever after. But then there's this conflict. Second Samuel 6, the Ark of the Covenant. The covenant is being carried back to the Israelites' hometown. Now, if you know anything about the Ark, uh, if you know Bible history or if you are just a fan of Indiana Jones movies, you know that when the Ark was with God's people, they won every battle. But when they didn't have the ark, it was as if not only the presence of the ark was gone, but God's presence and his blessing, his hand was sort of missing as well. And they didn't win every battle. And this ark had been stolen and David had gone after it and won it back from the Philistines. And he's carrying it home in 2 Samuel 6. And everybody is so excited. They're lining the streets and the music is playing and everyone is dancing and celebrating. And so King David starts to tap his feet as well. Snap his fingers, tap his feet. He's getting real excited. He's praising God. And I don't know if he starts to work up a sweat or if he just needs a little more room to do the cabbage patch or whatever he's going to do. But King David decides he's going to throw off his kingly robes. Now, this can get a little confusing because they translate this into English as though he got naked. But that's not really what happened. The truth is, is that he basically took off his outer kingly robes that sort of distinguished him as a VIP. It distinguished him as somebody that was important. And he just decided he's going to come down off that pedestal, be with the people, and mix it up a little bit, right? And everybody loved it, except for his wife, Michael. And this is where we pick up the moment of conflict that we're going to study today. Verse 20, it says, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Do you hear the sarcasm dripping from these words? Going around half naked in full view of slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Maybe she's jealous of these slave girls a little bit. Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. Ooh, and he is just goading her. David doesn't say, you know, help me understand, sweetheart, or anything like that. He just puts his dukes up and goes right after. In verse 23, this is is a really sad scripture. In verse 23, it says, And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. It was basically the Bible's way of saying, as far as intimacy goes, the marriage is basically over from this point on. This conflict is, is really what... Just basically, I mean, they stayed married, but the marriage was pretty much over. So here's what we can do. We can, we can look over the shoulder of these two. We can watch their conflict, and we can learn from their negative example. And the first thing I would share with you is this, that in matters of the heart, when we're in conflict, in matters of the heart, let's ask the question, what is the heart of the matter. David didn't do that. 
When Michael comes to David, he does not seek to understand the heart of the matter. He just verbally retaliates against her. When we find ourselves in conflict with our loved one, our neighbor, our coworker, the first thing we need to do is ask ourselves, I wonder what might be behind all of this. I mean, is the issue that he's come home late again and that's why you're so upset? Or is the real issue that you're starting to feel like he may value work more than family? And that's what's causing you so much pain. And if you understood how much he truly cherished you, would that 30 minutes of him being late be all that big a deal? Is the issue really that your wife asked you to take out the trash or did you roll your eyes because you've got this underlying feeling that, you know what, she just doesn't respect you the way that you think that she should. In other words, what's really at the issue? Why does she feel this way? Why do I feel this way? These are the questions that we need to ask, but it's hard. It's hard for two reasons. One is because it requires us to be good listeners And it requires us to be able to express our feelings openly, transparently, and with vulnerability. And in every relationship, there's usually one person that's not so good at sharing their feelings, not so good at listening. And unfortunately, it's usually the same person that's not so good at remembering to put the toilet seat down, okay? It's usually us guys that aren't so good at this. I mean, how things could have gone differently if David had done this with Michael, if David had done what James says in his books, James 1.19, it says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Hey, is that a verse that characterizes your conflicts? Proverbs 18, 13, it says this, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. You know, David, maybe she just felt left out of the celebration. And had you just said in the midst of your dancing, had you just had gone, you know, or like, you know, this kind of a deal, but kind of brought her into it, that would have been, that would have solved it right then. Or David, maybe you didn't realize this, but she had commissioned that particular set of kingly robes just for you. And when you took them off and threw them on the ground, you didn't realize it, but it just hurt her. And you didn't know that, but you didn't take time to figure out if that was the issue. Or David, maybe it's just that she sees these slave girls and they're a little younger and she's watching them look at you with all this quote-unquote honor. And David, all she needed you to do was come up next to her and put your arm around her and say, hey, sugar boo, there's no problem here. Like, I love you. You're the only one for me. But see, David didn't take the time to see where the anger was coming from. You know, the counselors, the therapists will tell us that anger is often a secondary emotion. That anger is often the emotion that gets presented when we're actually dealing with something else. It's almost like the bodyguard of emotions that protects us from exposing our hurt or frustration or vulnerability or, you know, that if we feel stressed, it can present as anger. If we feel uh, hurt, it can present as 
anger. Anger is that secondary emotion. I find this to be true with me as well. And you know what? If we can get past the anger, sometimes we can get at the heart of the issue. I was um, babysitting, really, at, at uh, my church, uh, and I was in the, the little kid's room, and I, I would say, I don't know, maybe five years old, five or six years old, these little kids were playing, and there was one little kid that was just, he just wouldn't listen, he was just rambunctious, he was just, you know, running around, and he wouldn't share and, and at some point, this other little child came up to me and just told on him, hey, he cried, and, you know, he took that ball from me. And I just, I just kind of had it. I said, that's it. We're going to take this kid and, and teach him something. And so I take the kid that's causing the problems. I, I put him in the corner. I sit him down. I said, listen, listen, this is how this is going to go. You are going to take a turn with the ball, and then you're going to share with someone else and then that person then will share with you. And he went, no, uh. I couldn't believe this. I said, no, 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 trust me. You take the ball, then you share, and then I promise you they will share with you. And say, you're a liar. And I thought, I'm about to have to perform my first exorcism on this child. Like, this is a little demon that's in this child. And uh, I, this was probably not good, but I just got frustrated. I grabbed the ball out of this kid's hand, and I gave it to this other kid. And this first kid just goes berserk, hitting me, hitting me, hitting me. You're a liar. You're a liar. You're a liar. Just like daddy was a liar. He said mommy wouldn't die, but she did. And then he just collapses in my chest, weeping. And that's when I realized that there was something going on in this kid's life. That often when I see somebody who cuts me off on the road, and they're frustrated, often there's something else going on in their life. Often when I have a coworker that, that kind of is short with me or, or, or kind of you know, rubs me the wrong way, often there's something else going on in their life. And sure enough, in my marriage, when one of us presents with anger, often there's something else going on. So I would ask you, especially in matters of the heart, to ask the question, what's at the heart of the matter? The second thing I'll share with you is this, that timing is everything. Timing is everything. In 2 Samuel 6, David comes back from uh, work basically the battle and it's been this great day and he's feeling on top of the world he's feeling successful I mean he is strutting his stuff he's dancing around and here comes Michael confronting him in front of everybody when Jesus talked about this in Matthew 18 he said if someone sins against you you go to that person and confront them alone <laughs> go in private go to them in private that's how to do it. I mean, timing is everything. Don't go and publicly humiliate the king in front of everybody. That's what she does. Ladies, I don't know if you know this, but us guys have this thing called an ego, and it gets us in trouble all the time, and the truth is everybody, guys and girls, we all have egos, 
None of us wants to be embarrassed in front of other people. And so there's timing that goes into when are we going to have this conflict? When are we going to resolve this thing? When are we going to start asking the questions and digging into what's really at the heart of the matter? You know, at the dinner table at night in front of the kids, it's not the right time. Often what will happen is there'll be some issue when, when a husband and wife will wake up in the morning and there's somebody's not saying something or somebody rubs somebody the wrong way and, and there's an elephant in the room and everybody kind of gives each other the silent treatment. And then when somebody gets ready to leave because they have to go somewhere to work or to some appointment or whatever it is, somebody gets ready to leave and that's about the time that somebody goes, I'm about to lose my chance. And they'll say, hey, you know what you did last night it really ticked me off. And now this is not the right time because this person is on the clock. They've got to get somewhere. Timing is everything. There's a Bible verse that says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know that verse? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so what many people have taken that to mean is we will not go to sleep until we resolve this thing. And so what often will happen is everybody gets home from work, then we get dinner ready, then we deal with the kids and we do bath time and then we take somebody to soccer practice and then we come back and then we read to somebody and then we get everybody tucked in and we fall into bed exhausted and then we turn over to each other and go, okay, you ready to do this? Because we can't go to sleep tonight until we resolve this thing. And that's not actually what that verse is talking about. Better for us to look at each other and say, hey, you know what? Let's resolve it at least this much to say this. Hey, you know what? We know we love each other. And we know we're gonna work through this. But we're both exhausted. So let's go to sleep. And let's find a time tomorrow that'll work. Would that be okay with you? Let's come back at this when we're at our best. Let's come back at this when we're not exhausted. Let's come back at this where we've had some time to pray, where we've had some time to relax, where we've had some time to... We want to be at our best. Timing is everything. So I would share with you, we ought to ask in a conflict, hey, what's at the heart of the matter? I would say timing is everything. Let's make sure we do this in the right place at the right time when we're at our best. And then the third thing I would share with you is when you get to a conflict, start with something positive. Start with something positive. Carrie Patterson wrote a book called Crucial Conversations. Crucial Conversations. Somebody's excited about Carrie Patterson. Are you Carrie's mom? <laughs> Just kidding. But this is a great book. If you manage anybody, you ought to read this book, Crucial Conversations, because what she says in that book is that people will be less aggressive, less angry in a conflict if they feel liked, safe, and respected. And so one of the things that you can do is start with something positive so that people don't immediately have to throw up walls of defense, but they can, they can let down walls because they feel safe, they feel like, they feel respected. Michael could have said, David, you have brought home the ark. Congratulations. This is amazing. You, are, you have still got it as a warrior. Let me tell you, you are tremendous. And as a king, oh man, everyone has followed you. You're doing an incredible job as a leader and as a devoted man of God, way to go. But honey, when you've got time, I wanted to share something with you that kind of 
it, it rubbed me the wrong way, and I, I just want to share this. You understand how she could start with something a little more positive rather than just kind of laying into him right away. You know what? If we're quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, well, then we have time to think through strategic ways to start the discussion, strategic ways to begin the conflict. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So you could say, hey, you know what, Tim? Oh, Tim, why didn't you show up last night? Or you could say, Tim, you know what? You've always been such a responsible guy. And when you didn't show up last night, I just was wondering, man, are you okay? You see the difference? Or you could say, orange shag carpeting. What were you thinking? Right? Or you could say, hey, I really appreciate your work on this remodel, but hey, you know what? Help me understand your choice here in the living room. It's a little bit different way of saying things. We start with something positive. Um, one of my boys was having problems with lying when he was just little and cute. <laughs> but I knew that if that was a problem, he was a little cute. As he got older, it could be something that was a real issue. And so um, we wanted to address it. Now, it was just little things. He, he would go to school and he'd say things like, I have a horse. He didn't have a horse. He told some kid, I can be on TV if I want to. He couldn't be on TV if he wanted to. And so, you know, we, we did the punishment. We did the don't do this. We had the lectures. I mean, we did everything. And, and the line continued. And so I decided to try and figure out, hey, what's at the heart of the matter? Why does this kid feel the need to exaggerate and to try and impress his friends? I thought that might be what was going on. I picked just the right time to talk to him. We were having ice cream together. He was in a good mood. And I said, hey, buddy, I just want you to know something. You are such a great kid. Hey, I want you to know that God loves you so much. And mom and dad, we love you so much. And you know what? You, you are just one of the coolest kids I know. I just want you to know that you don't need to try and impress anybody else because you're already super cool and I know sometimes you'll say things to try to impress other people you're trying to exaggerate with other people things that really aren't true but you'll say them sometimes because you're trying to impress them and I just want you to know you don't need to do that because you're already so cool and you know what the line stopped and it turns out I'm smarter than a five-year-old right <laughs> That's, that's what I walked away. Okay, uh, let's get to the number four. Number four is stick to the issue. Stick to the issue. Don't make it about something that it's not. David gets defensive, and he immediately he widens the issue. Do you see what David said? David said, uh, God chose me instead of your dad and anybody from your family. Now, I will ask you, when is the last time that you successfully de-escalated a conflict by bringing up your in-laws? <laughs> Has that ever happened in the history of marital conflict? Probably not. Aren't you surprised by how much our spouse's family plays into our relationship? I think that's because we get our ideas about marriage. We get our ideas about, we get our expectations 
about the way a family ought to be run by our own experience growing up. That's just the way it is. And so I told you a couple, a few weeks ago, you know, my wife married, uh, grew up with a dad who was just super outdoorsy. He hunts with a falcon. Like he is, you know, he goes out in the woods with a screwdriver and builds a house. Like it's just real. And then she married me, you know, and I'm just more indoorsy. I just remember she would, <laughs> she would, she would hint early on in our relationship. She'd say, Hey, um, you know, Growing up, my family was into camping, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, everybody's family used to be into camping before they invented the house, you know, and now, like, we don't have to do that anymore, so why would we ever go do that, you know? But here's what we'll do. David brings in someone else into the conflict. No, 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 we want to stick to the issue, David. I thought we were talking about dancing, and you're bringing in her father. Uh, David, you know, we're, we're talking about dancing, and you're bringing in the past. Guys, I'm just going to tell you right now, when you're in a conflict, stick to the issue. Don't bring in other people. Don't bring in the past. One of my favorite pastors would say, don't ruin today with yesterday. Don't ruin today with yesterday. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So if there's an issue, yes, address the issue. Stick to the issue, though. Don't bring in other people. Don't bring in the past. So get to the heart of the matter. Timing is everything. Start with something positive. Keep to the issue. Stick to the issue. And how many of you are going to remember these next time you're in a conflict? Just kind of raise your hand and say, you know what? Next time I'm in a conflict, I will remember these things. And how many of you are thinking, yes, I will remember these things so I can tell them what they should be doing, right? <laughs> That's the problem, and that's what brings us to number five. Number five is win hearts, not arguments. It's not a competition. It's not a zero-sum game with a winner and a loser. You're actually on the same team trying to win at this relationship. I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about uh, a friendship. I'm talking about parenting. I'm talking about, you're on the same side trying to, to win at this relationship. I think of a couple times in an, in an argument that I won the argument. I would say, Rachel's over here. That's why I keep, some of you in Huntley are going, why does he keep looking to the left? Rachel's over here. So it's very scary to be talking about this with her right there. <laughs> but I think there are times when I have won the argument, but I didn't win the heart. At the end of the argument, she might have said, okay, fine, we'll do it your way. And then kind of walked away with her head down. And I'm, I'm just sitting over here going, yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm just going to be here as a winner by myself. Just going to go ahead and make up, make up a bed on this couch over here. You know. And it's Le Chateau Bow Wow. You know, I'm in the doghouse. I won the argument, but I didn't win the heart. I love what Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You know what I want to understand is that conflict is inevitable. 
But if we fight well, if we fight forward, if we fight fair, then we can actually see conflict as a bridge to greater intimacy. And the two of us together, we can win together. It doesn't have to be a winner and a loser. I was in a, a motorcycle accident years back, and I broke both bones in my leg. And when it healed back, um, right at the time when, when the doctor said, okay, you can start playing sports again, you can go run, you can do whatever you need to do, I would say, okay, fine, but I'm going to be you know, real careful because I don't want it to you know, break in that place again. And he goes, well, hold on a second. You need to understand this. He said, when those bones grow back together, they will never break in that same space again. Because at that point where there was a break and they come back together, that actually is the hardest, strongest part of the bone now. They'll never break again right there. And I think that can happen in our conflicts as well. We have this issue, and if we work through this issue and we do it together and we get to the heart of the matter and we we do it in a way that we're loving each other and forgiving each other and we're staying on the same team, that can actually be an issue that becomes one of the strongest, most uniting parts of our relationship if we do it well. Well, David and Michael's story, it didn't end well. And it's a shame because you know when David won her hand in marriage that day, this is not the story that they imagined. And sure enough, there's some of you who are in the room today or watching online in one of our campuses that what you're experiencing right now in your relationship is not the story that you imagined when you took a knee and asked her to marry you. This is not what you imagined. And when you said yes and stood across from him at the aisle, at the altar, this is not what you imagined. But I just want to encourage you that your story's not over. I heard a preacher say, if you're, if you're not dead, then God's not done. And I like that. If you're not dead, then God's not done. And the good news is this, that God has the power to help you write the rest of your story. Check this out. Hi, uh, we're Dave and Mary Vabrick. Hi, I'm Gary. I'm Brandy. Hola, yo soy Ivan. Yo soy Marcy. My name is Hachia Machaco. My husband's name was Chaco Tevateral. We had a 53 years and nine months married life. And we've been married for four years. Hemos estado casados por uh, 16 años. We've been married now for 40 years. That was me. I was interested. I found him. Even though I didn't know at the time that he lived like five and a half hours away, I just messaged him just to see if he would respond, and he did. Like when we yeah. saw each other for the first time, he actually hid from me. <laughs> no, come on, no. Like, I was nervous. I was actually surprised he was willing to drive that far. Where you worth it. <laughs> oh. Yo llegué de adolescente a la iglesia del papá de Marcy. Debo decir que al principio no me interesaba mucho. Well, at first, I didn't like him. 
because like he was like the musician. All the girls were like behind him, and I'm like, oh, what's this dude doing? I don't like him. Like... We met at the age of 80. I used to sing in the church, and my husband liked my voice. Actually, I never thought of marrying him, but he was determined in his mind. Who was interested in the other first? Well, I think you were. <laughs> Yeah, we used That's to travel different places. Yeah. That is a fun part. My Amici and Avicii traveled the world together, almost every major country in the world and almost every state in the United States. Él siempre me hace reír, siempre es ocurrente. I know we have inside jokes, but what are they? Oh, we do the Yoshi thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we're super excited, at the same time, we'll both go, nah. <laughs> I can't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> we just enjoy laughing together. Sometimes we laugh ourselves to sleep, just being silly. A mí lo que más me inspira Iván es a never give up, nunca darme por vencida. Mary is the single greatest example of Christ's likeness of anyone in my life, and I aspire to follow a woman like that. To compassion tu ternura, uh, tu lealtad. My grandfather took care of my grandma when she was sick, and she took care of him when he was sick. When my husband fell ill, he could not communicate well what he wanted to do. So that was a hard part, but God was there with him. You know, we come from two different backgrounds, and. You know, our worlds are completely different. Our biggest thing is communication. We're both trying to tell the same exact story, and just in two different ways, and sometimes we get hung up. We uh, got to the point where we separated. When we separated, I crawled into the arms of God. God was there um, sustaining me through that whole time. I learned, uh, actually, what is patience? That's what I learned. I learned through my grandparents' marriage how to be committed to each other even when things are hard. Choosing to stay is an important part of marriage. Marriage is supposed to be, you know, a struggle. It's not supposed to be easy. Like, you have to fight to stay married. Yeah. No es de que cada uno va a añadir un 50%. Cada uno añade un 100% y juntos hacen algo extraordinario. I can't do Gary and Brandy can't do, you know, Brandy stuff. It has to be Gary and Brandy together. You know, it all leads back to Christ. Are we coming to him with our full hearts? Are we holding anything back from him? Because this is what I'm learning with you. It's like, I can't hold, hold back, back from yeah. you. I can't hide from you. You know, you're like, what's wrong? Like, you, you chase <laughs> me around the house. What's wrong? <laughs> And it's like, that's what God does. You know, like, he seeks after us. God strategically answered my prayer for a girlfriend and allowed me to marry this woman because he had a plan and a purpose, not just for her, but for us collectively. Es, tiene un carácter super bello y especial. Lo amo. I love you too. Te amo también. That's how she is, just straight love. You like that? I do. Okay. There is nobody that loves me more. He loves me well. He truly does. Give it up for those folks, huh?
Hey, um, I think the Bible is one of the most practical helps for relationships. You can find all kinds of great tips and tricks and themes and principles. But at its very core is this understanding that our relationship with God is our primary relationship. That that's the thing that we really need to get right. I don't know if you've ever been, uh, you know, putting on a dress shirt, a button-up shirt, and, 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 and you, you're buttoning the buttons. You ever get down to the bottom and, like, the button does not line up with the hole? Am I the only person? And then you have to go back and undo, 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 undo. And then you got to get the top one, and the top button and the top hole lined up. And then once you do that, then you really don't have to think about it. All the rest just kind of falls in line. And I share that with you because in my mind, that's really what our relationship with God is like. It is the top relationship. It is the most important relationship. And we can do tips and tricks and, and we can try real hard or we can go to counselors. We can do all these different things. But in my mind, if I realize that I'm loved by God, then I have love to give to someone else. If I realize that I'm forgiven by God, then I'm able to offer forgiveness to other people. So as we end today, I just want to ask you to think about not only what is your next step in your relationships, but also what is your next step with God? And maybe for you it's... uh, to, to decide, hey, we're going we're gonna to start praying together as a couple. I've never heard any couple regret that decision. Let's put God first and at the center of our relationship. Or maybe for you, your next step with God is to get involved in a small group. I think one of the most powerful things that I've seen uh, last week in Mother's Day and, and, and throughout my time at Willow is just the power of when people get into groups with other people who are trying to put God first and trying to help each other take their next steps with God. That is That sort of positive peer pressure and support becomes just an amazing way of helping us with God in our relationships. Or maybe your next step with God is to say, you know what, I, I've never really sat down with a pastor or somebody that I trust and said, what does it even mean to be a Christian? I want you to know you can do that today. After the service, if you want to come talk to one of us, um, one of the staff, one of the volunteers, just come up to them and say, hey, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I'd like to learn more about that. And maybe for you, your next step is just to come back next week. Maybe to invite a friend. I think there's good things happening here and I'd encourage you to share that with other people maybe for you your next step is to bless your neighbor to begin to pray for them to offer them hospitality to serve them to invite them to church maybe your next step with God is to go find a counselor or a pastor or somebody you trust and say hey you know what there's some things that have been going on in my relationship that I need to get I need to get real with somebody. I, I need to let this thing come, come out into the light where we can work on it together. Maybe that's your next step with God. Hey, whatever your next step with God is, let's take them together as a family.